to Third World Linux. I'm Jal, and it's another one of those episodes where I talk. Uh, yeah, my girlfriend was here over the weekend, and as such, we couldn't record. And well, it was it was my fault because I didn't tell AG uh, early enough. Pretty much, I told him on the Thursday. She arrived on the Saturday, so I asked if we could record on Friday instead of Sunday, and we couldn't. So anyway, mia uh, culpa. Okay. So uh, here, I'm gonna be just reading through some of um, some of the emails that we got, and uh, yeah, I say that too much. Like, uh, yeah, that's like a thing that I say. Okay. Uh, so first off, we have an email from uh, Morton, longtime uh, friend of the show, and he says, "Dear Linuxers, I was surprised to hear you comment on open source translations in the way you did." I remember the one laptop per child project specifically promoting the open source aspect because an effort by a lot of smaller groups made software available in languages and dialects that no commercial company would ever have gone into. Even if you were to translate every single text string of Microsoft Word into your own language and hand it over for free, Microsoft would never touch it. If you look at the kind of work that goes into translation of LibreOffice, for example, it is impressive. Launchpad has localization built into the platform, and services like TransFX have a lot of users. Of course, like all things open source, quality assurance is the next task after translation, so you'll need a certain number of people. Also, to keep the translation up to date, some projects have frequent releases. And there are several levels. One thing is user interface translation, another is the spell checker, a third is the grammar check. But you can get far with a bit of effort and software like Poetit for translation. I completed the partial Danish translation of Abbey Word when I was home with my newborn son, when he would be sleeping and my brain needed something to work on. All the best and thank you for the show, Morton. Yeah. Um. Yes. Um. I, I really truly do believe that the open source model is the best way to get any sort of translation work done, because language shouldn't be the domain of like one or two intellectuals sitting in some office and you know being paid by uh, Microsoft or Apple or whatever but uh, I, I guess what I, I guess my sort of disposition if I can remember correctly well one I was really sleepy and not thinking straight and um, two uh, well specifically for the Cherokee translation which was probably more politically motivated than any sort of um, any sort of altruistic or concerted effort to uh, preserve a dying language. But either way, yes, I do stand corrected. Um, but that's, it brings up an interesting point, though, uh, because like in in my own reflection on my views on uh, on language and like language preservation and how it's uh, related to technology and stuff. Um, on the one hand, I love the idea of language as being in a constant state of flux and like language being almost Darwinian in that um, there is an evolution to language, right? And it is just extremely unnatural for uh, language to be preserved in the way that um, some agencies of government, say, uh, insist on doing, right? So, um, French, for example, uh, Filipino, right? It's, 
it feels kind of weird. Um, but then on the other hand, if we just sort of let language take its course, then we lose a lot of the beautiful minority languages out there, a lot of the, a lot of the small endangered languages. And these are sort of two things that I have difficulty reconciling in my head, right? Like, um, I, I am a firm believer in, you know, language change and, and allowing language to change. But if we take, uh, if, if we take it from this sort of point of view of, um, it being a Darwinian process, then it almost seems like death is inevitable. Um, the dying out of the quote, weaker languages is inevitable. And, um, and, and yes, open source is probably the best shot at the language surviving. Um, but I'm not sure that anybody from any side of technology, say, you know, open source or, you know, proprietary, uh, seem to be making any effort or seem to be making any, uh, meaningful headway in that regard. Um, I, I don't know where I'm going with this other than I guess I'll be happy no matter who does it. Like no matter who steps up and says, you know what? Fuck it. We are going to make a translation of, um, like an office suite into, I don't know, or Hiligaynon or one of those, um, small central Visayan languages. Like no matter where it comes from, I guess I'll be happy. And yeah, hmm. I, I guess what I'm trying to say is I really have no idea exactly where I stand on this. Other than, um, well, other than I, I do believe that open source is probably the best way to have the best of both worlds, right? Like, um, like it, it can, the, the open source model can reflect the constant evolution of language while at the same time, if somebody does actually step up and um, does, like, the translation of LibreOffice into Bahasa Bali, like, I, I, I guess, yes, open source, the open source model is the best shot at it. Right, um, next up, uh, an email from Ocelot. He says, I can see your point. In our capitalist cultures, there is little point to translating endangered languages. One won't become rich by translating Windows to Balinese. On software ignorance, I have to agree on that point. We should probably have more tech and better math literacy in school schools worldwide. Also, if you're getting crap about having slow internet, the U.S.'s internet also sucks in comparison to other industrialized countries. Even Romania has better internet. And off-tangent, sorry for being angry about Doctor Strange. I get a little too passionate. Still, glad glad we got back on the same page. But yeah, Doctor Strange was Asian in the original comic. Oh well. Uh, postscript, good luck in law school. Right, so this kind of dovetails quite nicely to uh, Morton's email. Um, and, like, really, I'm not sure if there is a solution to, like, very capitalist culture and um, and the preservation of small languages. Um but again, yes, uh, Morton is 100% correct in that the best shot probably is having an open model because if there is a university project, um, to preserve a language, uh, 
the best shot of getting the work out there is through some sort of open source model. Um, yeah. Oh, um, on slow internet. Uh, the internet connections in the Philippines aren't slow, actually. Like, think about it. They aren't slow. They are just expensive. So I guess that's what um, sort of contributes to the slowness because uh, the average speed is pretty low because that's what the average person can afford. Um, the mobile carriers are changing this, but that's a whole different kind of worms because mm, Facebook is free. Like, it doesn't count against your data cap. Anyway, uh, about the internet speeds in the U.S., it's, it's kind of weird, right? Because, um, I've, I've always, I've always seen the U.S. as a weird land of extremes where in the United States you will see the, some of the richest people in the world and some of the poorest people in the world. Um, you will see some of the most brilliant minds in the world and some of the least, and, and some of the least educated people in the world. Um, and I think it's just sort of a function of the sheer size of the country. So, like, I, I would think that going by that logic, you guys should have some of the fastest internet connections in the world while at the same time some of the slowest. But then I wouldn't know. I really wouldn't know. Um, and yeah, Doctor Strange. Again, I really have no idea where we got the, or where I got the whole Doctor Strange Asian thing. I choose to blame Norm. Uh, about the postscript. Funny thing. I was recently hired by a school here to be, of all things, a fucking high school teacher. Um, and I'm going to be handling either a philosophy of the human person class or one of those, uh, interdisciplinary understanding society, culture, and politics classes. So it's either of the two. Uh, yeah, whichever, whichever my boss decides to throw me into. So I'm going to be teaching a bunch of grade 11s or grade 12s starting next school year and uh not sure if that's going to mean that i'll have to slow down my study of law or just sort of give it up altogether because good god this job pays really well it was pretty cool right because i used I, I used a raspberry pi for my teaching demo um they said like you can use a uh presentation if you want so I was like, yeah, I'll totally make a presentation. I'll use a LibreOffice Impress. And um, instead of like bringing in a laptop and you know plugging it into whatever, like I decided to bring the Raspberry Pi and use the uh, use the Impress app on my phone, which was pretty cool. Like I, I think it made me stand out as an applicant. Like here's this dude with a weird little box that he uses for making presentations yeah should be fun at the very least i'll have like stories about shit kids say <laughs> kids these days uh, finally we have an email from dog catcher sito who says hey why not just make a media server and then take a raspberry pi and attach it to the tv as a client Run, run Samba with assigned users and then install Plex on the server, but make sure you use a headless server distribution. Also, check out Elementary. That show has five seasons and will give you a lot of entertainment. Plus, it's Sherlock Holmes in New York City. Right, uh, 
the reason that I didn't use a Raspberry Pi and plug it into the TV as a client was because I didn't want to have uh, another remote for my folks to deal with because they still have or they, they use a cable box from the cable provider. They use a remote that came with the TV and having another device plugged in um, almost necessarily means another remote unless I find a way to reprogram the existing remote or something. I don't know. Um, but then, at, you know, that, that would mean like an infrared um, attachment to the Pi and all that. Um, yeah. And the reason that I, I chose not to give them like a Plex server um, sitting on the network was because they were already used to having that uh, process of getting to an attached storage device plugged into the back of the TV. Like, having a mini uh, DLNA server shows up in the same place as a USB device plugged into the back of the TV. So there isn't very much of a transition for them. And that's why I set it up in the way that I did. Hey, welcome to part two of... Uh, my recording session for episode 119. Ciao, uh, by the way. And I'm coming at you from a very, very rainy and gloomy Cebu. Uh, yeah. You have to think about it. Like, my girlfriend was really lucky when she came over. It was nice and sunny and all that. We went to uh, Camotes Islands, or one of the Camotes Islands on a day trip. It's a small group of three islands with a really nice beach on it somewhere in between Cebu and Leyte or Samar or somewhere in between those two islands uh yeah so anyway uh at, at the beginning of the year I said that I would be looking at more distributions and I kind of did so here's a little bit of an update on what's been going on uh I decided to nuke and pave the Acer Aspire 5500Z or whatever that laptop is. It's really old. Um, and it is currently being dual booted. Uh, Lubuntu. Lubuntu 16.10. Which is really good. Like, wow, it's really good. Um, I've, I've been having a bit of a problem with this particular laptop when watching YouTube videos like... Like, if, if the computer's been on for a while, uh, it just sort of lags everything out. Uh, I haven't had that problem with Lubuntu, so that's, that's pretty good. Uh, and, well, the other partition is this distribution called Apricity. Apricity? Yeah, um, so it is, it is an Arch-based distribution, and the best way that I can kind of describe it is it is, uh, it, it, it kind of strives for the same functionality as Peppermint OS while having the same aesthetic sensibility as Antergos, which is, well, that's two things that I really like. And um, if I could get it to work, then it would probably be like a really good distribution for my particular use case. Because I really like Arch, and uh, I, I really like the... The, the new mix icon set and you know um, yeah so 
it, it looks really good. It, uh, yeah, wait, wait. I said it doesn't work, right? Um, so the first little issue that I have is it is running the GNOME 3 desktop. Well, either GNOME 3 or Cinnamon, you have a choice. But those desktop environments are a little bit heavy for uh, for the laptop that I have. So, or well, the laptop that I intended to use it on. So, um, yeah, it, it it it's fast enough for like the the, the Cinnamon implementation is really good. Um, it works a lot quicker than say like. Uh, Synarch did back in the day, <laughs> or um, like Linux Mint after a couple of days, right? So there's that, but uh, it isn't as like lean as an LXD. But the issue really that I have is with the wireless driver. Uh, this this particular laptop that I'm using has an Intel Pro wireless card or something and it is a non-free or it uses a non-free driver um, IPW-2200 or something like that and um, most of the uh, non-Stallman approved like distributions have uh, have either have it have it either built in so like all of your uh, wildcard Buntus sort of work straight out of the box with this or uh, for Debian if you get the non-free ISO this particular driver is in there um, with Arch you kind of have to well with Arch you have to do everything yourself so yeah when I when I built an Arch or when I did an Arch install on this uh, yeah it wasn't too much of a problem getting that driver um, but, you know, I managed to get the driver and got it loaded and all that. But it still doesn't work. <laughs> and I haven't really dug into it any further. Um, but at the very least, like, I can plug it in, wired and whatnot. But, you know, that kind of defeats the purpose of it being a uh, Peppermint OS type thing. Oh, and, um, the, the, the other reason that I sort of compared it to Peppermint OS is because it has ICE on it, um, that site-specific browser thing, so you can uh, make your own web app, quote-unquote, or not, not make your own web app, but um, take a website and turn it into a web app, or something to that effect. Unfortunately, it doesn't open for me. Uh, and it might be like in the middle of some sort of revision maybe or I don't know but like yeah try to click on ice and nothing happens mm, looks really good though and if uh, you can get if you can get your wireless card to work on it and most uh, most like modern systems, I would think, are fairly well supported when it comes to wireless drivers. I wouldn't know, but it would seem as though most modern systems are pretty cool with that. So, uh, 
like even without um even without having ice like if if ice still doesn't work like i would think that if you have a a nice modern system it would be worth a look you know a nice looking distribution that's built on top of arch like we don't have too much of that anymore like we don't have too much of that anymore we don't really have too much of that yeah um because what in the past we had uh in 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 the past we had Archbang, which is a pretty cool idea. It looks a lot like Crunchbang. Feels a lot like Crunchbang, but in my opinion, deviated too much from the aesthetic of Crunchbang. It's weird, um, but yeah, if if he can get it working and if you're into it, I mean, it's it looks really good, um, and I would imagine that it would function really well if your computer is. Uh, supported, I guess. I, I, yeah, I guess that's the best way to put it. If your computer is supported, or your computer can support it, it looks to be a really good distribution. But as it stands right now, um, I, I'm really digging Lubuntu. <laughs> hmm. Oh, something else that I wanted to talk about is... Uh, Google Play Podcasts or whatever the whatever the fuck you you call it, um, yeah. So apparently it's been a thing for quite some time, right? Like I've been following it in a way, but every time I try to open it up or every time I try to open their webpage or whatever, it's always like, unfortunately, Google Podcasts aren't available in your country or whatever. Um, so yeah, uh, fuck you. But it's it's always kind of annoyed me, right? Um, oh, and, and I have another. Big fuck you to Spotify, but that's uh, neither here nor there. Anyway, um, what was I saying? Yeah, so podcasts aren't available in my country. I would be fine. I would be absolutely fine, like, not being able to access the uh, podcast portion of the Google Play app. But I would very much like to include the Third World Linux RSS feed in your list of available podcasts on Google Play Podcasts. Because why not? Like, there, there, there aren't any fucking copyright issues that you have to deal with, right? Like, I can understand why um, some music and some uh, TV shows and whatnot aren't available in some parts of the world because of this stupid, like, archaic intellectual property regime that we have going on um, but when it comes to something like podcasts which don't require any sort of licensing agreement uh, no, which, which aren't bound by um, licensing agreements in the same way that other media is uh, wh- why why am I region locked then there, there is no, uh, there is no technical or legal like limitation that I can see. Um, so yeah, uh, basically what I'm saying is I got a VPN service thing and used it to add Third World Linux to Google Play uh, podcasts, music, whatever the hell you want to call it, and. Um, it is currently under the automated review process or whatever it is, whatever that review process is. And uh, hopefully 
in the next however long it's going to take. Third World Linux is going to be on Play Podcasts. Yeah. So I, I guess that's about it. And uh, I should have told you that this is one of those car episodes. So I guess thank you for joining me on my ride home. <laughs>